Um, the next thing I wanted to announce is I told the track boys that I would bring them up on stage. Look, you got to harass people, right? So I told them, I said, I will bring you up on stage if you made it to state. Because they're throwing, they're throwing all these comments. They say, Coach Brown, we're coming to church. I'm like, all right, bet. They say, can we come up on stage? I'm like, you make it state, you can. So you guys now, you're not going to put me on front street at practice and at the meets. Now you got to come up on stage so we can congratulate you for making it to state. Let's go. All right, this is, this is Jake Hurst. Jake, um, his brother was a couple years younger than me. He placed third at state in wrestling. He made it to regionals in four events and um, should have made it in four events to state, but um, he lost by a shoulder, so he needs to get a little bit bigger. So uh, a <laughs> little bit broader shoulders. So he competes next week in two events at, I guess this week. This is Jack Wolf. Jack, show us your left hand real quick. You see that? That is a bowling state championship ring. <laughs> Jack is going to state in the four by two. Should have made it in the four by one as well. And Jack is what they call a, um, he's just excited about everything. <laughs> so, um, Love that about him. And this is Chase. Chase is, uh, he had a hamstring injury for about like a year and a half. So it happened at the beginning of the track season. He has the school record in the 100 meter dash at 11.05 um, seconds. But the hamstring injury and the burritos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, Chase. Um, but Chase is going to stay as an alternate because of his hamstring and everything else, but he will be with these guys in the 4 by 2 So um, I told him I'd do it. Now, since you guys are up here, we're going to give you the full church experience, and we're going to make you handle snakes. <laughs> just kidding. All right, give him a round of applause. If Kyle would have ran, we could have had you up here this week because you would have been a part of it. We still love you. All right. Um, just in light of that, though, I remember when I was a junior in high school, some of you guys, many of you guys have heard the story, 17 years old, sitting in your seats. I generally sat over here where Jonathan was. But what I remember is I was your age, and I was the cool kid, right? And wait, I didn't mention this. Did you see Jake's mullet? Isn't that pretty? Like, my mullet here in like two years is going to be from the bald spot down. So love it while you can grow it. But, but what I remember is when I was 17 years old, dealing with the pressures of being cool, fitting in, um, athletic success or wanting to have success, um, yeah, future decisions that I had to make. And I remember sitting back here and I just crying out to God, are you really who you say you are? So there was this day that I was overwhelmed with decisions that I knew that I was making poor decisions. So we call this area the altar area and like during worship, the presence of God just like touched me and I responded up here, 
and um, a lot of crier. My dad was tough. He's not here today. He's camping. He's watching on TV. So, well, uh, thank you for watching on your television, Dad. But that was just kind of like this tough person. So the last person you ever want to do is cry in front of your dad, right? Any you guys ever cried in front of your dad? Yeah, but not like, not emotionally, only when he whipped you, right? <laughs> not showing emotion. So I'm not a crier, but I came up here and like just this, this experience came on me when I was 17 years old where I met God. And th there was really like this out-of-body experience, right? Where um, I'm up here like confessing sins. And you guys know you know what sins are. So I'm confessing these sins to God, and I'm like, God, I fall short, and uh, I know that you're real. I just don't know how to live for you. And there's this co uh, confrontation of whether you want to live for God or you want to be cool. And I'm like, I want to do both. <laughs> I want to be both. But while I'm up here crying because the presence of God came on me and I'm repenting my sins, I had this out-of-body experience where, like, it was weird. Like, I saw myself from above, and I heard, I heard like this voice from heaven say, because of this day, you'll be with me for eternity. So for me, I know, I know what can happen is like today could be a life-changing day for you guys because tomorrow is not promised because a couple years after that, I was in a three-car accident, right? Flipped three times, landed in a ditch sideways and walked away from it, but I could have been taken. So, so for me, um, with Chase going to war or joining the army with life. We just don't know that tomorrow's promised. I think of how my life was changed when I was the cool kid um, being your age. I mean, look how you guys dress better than me today. Dress to impress. So I just want to say this. Um, thank you guys for coming and ragging on me. I asked them, I'm like, I support you guys. You're going to support me. And I think they just wanted to see how wild this experience was. And we got some dude up here. <laughs> We're doing experiments, and at the end of the day, we're going to bring out the snakes. So uh, are you guys ready for them? Whether you guys believe it or not, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. Before you guys were even conceived, God had a plan for your life. Um, heaven is real. Hell is real. And today, we get to talk about death. So we're all, we're all going to face death, right? Every single one of us. It's something that Scott said he looks forward to. <laughs> you get to be with Jesus. This is the hard part. So death is something that we're all going to face. Now, when you're younger, it's you only live once, right? But the older you get, you start to realize that life is something that you love. You love people. You certainly face hard times. But life is generally good. We're all going to die one day. Now, what becomes interesting to me is most of us rather, um, most of us focus on this life rather than the next life. And you guys are familiar with the illustration. Imagine a rope, right? Francis Chan had the illustration. Imagine a rope where um, an inch of it is your life here on earth. And this rope goes from here to the water tower, beyond the water tower to the football field, beyond the football field to Plain City, beyond Plain City to Columbus, beyond Columbus to New York, beyond New York 
around the world, and it just keeps on going around the world. See, most of us are focused on this one inch, which is called our physical life here on earth, and we rarely make decisions that matter for the rest of the rope, right? See, the decision of anger towards your spouse or your friend or your family member, the decision of greed or selfishness that you've made or the sin that you chose to commit, it was all based upon this small little piece of your life that really doesn't matter in comparison to the rest of eternity, right? So in Francis Chan's illustration, what he's saying is, why don't we start making decisions on the other side of the rope, right? On, on the eternal side of the rope. What might happen if we die today? If you die today, if you guys die today, what's going to happen with you? I know what's going to happen with me if I die today. With sheer confidence. You guys can have a party. You can um, celebrate Jesus. And some of you might be upset. I know Basie will be. I don't know about you guys. You're like, yay, we get a new pastor. <laughs> when can we start interviewing? Isn't that the way the world is, though? Not the day after someone passes, they start already considering who they're going to bring in for your position. Either way, we're all going to die. So what's going to happen with your life? I hear things like, well, I'm a good person. I paid it forward. Or I'm not going to go to heaven anyways. And I just want to talk about that real quick. Those people are so silly. I'm not going to go to heaven anyways, so we live a life justified just to um, live however we want because we, we're okay with going to hell. Well, hell is completely separate from God, isolated from God where there's gnashing of teeth and fire and sulfur. I don't want to be there. People say things like, why would a good God let these things happen? Or God is simply a control freak. Isn't all that he is is um, a guy who gives rules and lists that we have to follow because he's such a control freak? And the way that we've often shared with people is with the Ten Commandments and with the rules that God puts in the Bible is, Many of you guys understand that Macy and I have three dogs, right? And these three dogs, um, they're sled dogs, so they're prone to run. I'm prone to bloat. So when I eat food, I'm P to B, baby. I just start bloating out. The dogs are pr uh, P, T, R, prone to run. So what we do is, because we understand that they're prone to run, we put a fence around them because we love them, right? We protect them from the outside elements because if the fence wasn't there, the dog's going to run and they're going to get hit, they're not going to eat, or they won't be able to live life to the fullest. See, with God's rules, with God's commandments, they weren't in such a way that he came to give us these commandments to say, hey, you're going to follow me and you're going to follow me because I said so. He can. But what he says is, look, I want you to live life to the fullest. I want you to have life um, and life more abundantly. So this fence is going to be around your life that if you follow this, you're going to experience the kingdom and freedom and joy.
to its fullest. So God says, look, when I tell you to not um, commit this sin, it's because this sin is going to separate you from me and it's going to separate you from people. Anyone ever experienced the consequences of sin, participating church? Now, if you could remake that decision, you probably wouldn't do it, right? But many people are not following Christ because they say, I don't want to follow the rules. When what they're missing out on is the rules actually help us live life more abundantly. Some people say, like, I think God's just made up. And I think he's made up because the American church just, or people just needed something to help them cope. Well, um, I completely disagree with that. And my experience, look, we can argue scripture all that we want, right? But you can't argue the experiences that I've shared about um, the book story. You guys remember that? That I shared a couple weeks ago, praying and asking God if I, he wants me to write a book. And then the car right in front of me, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys remember that? You remember that, Chase? You can't take those experiences away from me, right? Now, a major part of why people um, don't want to believe in Christ is that they want to control their own life. We love sin. Who in here loves sin? See, I don't love sinning, but certainly the things that I do love are often sin, and that's why we need to become that new creation. So, we love sin, but what's interesting is we get mad at God because he has expectations on us, yet our spouse or our girlfriend or our boyfriend can have expectation on us, right? I have ex expectations on Macy, and Macy has expectations on me. So imagine if, I'll tell you this, if Macy's like, hey, Joey, you can have me um, on Sundays, but every other day I'm free, you better believe I'm not going to be with her. I would say, woman, nope. And you better believe if I told her, Macy, you can only have me on Sundays, but every other day of the week, the world gets me. What would you say? She'd give me this right here, wouldn't she? You don't like that. You don't want that. When you guys get married, if your wife ever gives you that, just run. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Apologize. Shelly knows what I'm talking about. So, um, if, if my wife can have expectations, if friends can have expectations, then why can't we let a God have expectations on us? A holy God, the God who created everything. And you say, well, God, um, where did God come from? Where did we come from? Where did the earth come from? Where did the first particle ever come from? So the argument of nothing or something came from nothing, it, it just doesn't make sense. The something came from Christ, who was here from the beginning of time, which we've learned in the book of John, right? So that God can have an expectation on us. 
So I ask you, when is the last time that you contemplated what might happen with your life? And again, many people all throughout history have asked the question, is Jesus really who he said he is? Is Jilly, is, is Jilly, is, where's Jilly at? That's my niece. Is Jesus really who he said he is? Even John's disciples had these questions. Luke chapter 7, it should be on the screen. John's disciples told him all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus, are you really who you say you are, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's what Jesus said. All those things are happening, and all those things are happening through him. So what was he saying? I'm the one to come. I'm the Messiah. Pay attention. I'm right in front of you. And you know what's really unique is Aren't those things still happening today? People getting delivered, blind eyes opening, people getting healed and set free, people being born again in Christ. Are those things still happening today? Yes, they are. See, um, the other day, I was riding my bicycle. And um, how do you get a body like this, right? That's what you guys are asking. You just, to humble myself, I turn around, and you're just going to see, you're going to see your face right here. If you ever need to fix the mullet, just turn, say, Coach Brown, turn around, take the hat off. You're going to see it right here. So the other day, I'm riding my bicycle just through Northridge, and um, riding, 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 and there's a church parking lot that I always cut through because it's shorter, right? I'm like, I want to cut through this church parking lot, so... Uh, cut through this parking lot, and there was a woman sitting in a neon, Dodge neon, and it was like reddish, and um, I passed her on my bike, and my heart just stopped, welled up with compassion, and I'm like, I'm not talking to anyone today. I'm on a schedule. I'm not going to do it. So I just kept on riding and riding and riding, got halfway up the street, so I'm not talking to anyone. And just this brokenness within my heart um, felt like, like just kept on coming and coming. And it's like, you have to go talk to her. So I get halfway up the street, half a mile away, and finally turn around. And now it's raining. And didn't have any rain gear. And I turn around and I go back to the church parking lot. She's still sitting there. And um, how do you go up to a woman and just like start talking to her? 
Um, so I go up and I'm like, hey, what's up? She's like, oh, you scared me. I'm like, yeah, this is always weird. And uh, I'm like, I just want to be honest with you. Um, when I rode past you um, on my bicycle, my heart broke, and I felt like God was saying that you're sitting in this church parking lot because you're crying out to him about one, like some kind of need in your life. You want to know that he is real. She looked at me. She said, that's really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is weird. That's why I rode a half mile up the road <laughs> and then decided I need to say yes to God. So I turned around, and I came back to talk to you. And I said, um, I just feel like there's a deep cry for God in your life. And um, you've been through a bunch. And, and I felt like God was speaking to me about the um, situations that she's been through, that there's been abuse, that you've been told you're good for nothing, that financially you're struggling. And she looks at me, she said, I just don't know how you would know any of those things. And I said, well, clearly I don't know them because I just met you, but that's God working through me because God is calling you today. In the same way that you pulled into this church parking lot to, to ask God that you're real, it's the same way that he's calling you to a relationship in this moment. See, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you today. He doesn't have to be this ambiguous God. He, he gets to be a personal God. She said, that, that's just crazy. And can you guys turn my microphone down just a little bit? I hear some feedback. She's like, that is, that is so crazy that, that that would happen. So there was a few other words exchange, um, exchanging back and forth. And um, I ended up saying, can I pray with you? She's like, yep, you can pray with me. So we ended up, um, or we, I ended up um, right there in the church parking lot, in the neon, sheriff's driving by, looking like there's a drug deal going on or something. Dude in a sweatshirt with a hood up, right? Hat on, talking to a sketchy neon. So, um, close my eyes, um, invite Christ into her life. She invited um, every prayer that I prayed to be done. But I share that because Christ is still alive and at work today. I had no clue any of those things about her. But yet she said, every bit of it is real. So you say, the Bible is just made up stories. The Bible is just um, good stories. No, I see the things in the Bible coming true today when we're willing to be bold and step out and do it. Amen? So God is still speaking today. So throughout the book of John thus far, we've seen seven miracles that Jesus has done. He turned water into wine. You guys probably like that one, don't you? <laughs> healing the government official's son. Healing a paralyzed man. Several years. He took fish and loaves and fed 15,000 people because there was 5,000 men and then there was women and children as well. A few, uh, a few fish and some loaves, right? He walked on water. He healed a blind man. 
And now in this chapter, he's going to raise someone from the dead. See, that's the Jesus we get to serve. And at, this, um, and at the end of John, what we're going to find out is this, is all of the books in the Bible, all the books in the world couldn't contain everything that Jesus did while he was alive. He lived for 33 years. That's it. But all the books in the world, we could keep on writing books for everything that he has done. So, um, why were these miracles documented in the book of John? Because the hope was that you and I would come to believe in Jesus Christ. That's why. He didn't just come claiming that he was the Messiah as an ordinary man or a psycho. He came claiming that he was the Messiah with the word and the works. He had the works to prove it. And that's why these miracles are not only miracles of compassion and mercy, but they're also miracles of proof so that you and I would believe. See, um, you guys wouldn't believe that I was any good at discus based upon my size or what you see at practice unless you saw my name on the record board. So there, there, there's proof that I was decent at what I did, so it gives me some credibility. So if Jesus came and he claimed that he was the Messiah without proving it, then he'd just be crazy. And Jesus had proof that he did it. And that proof, when we seek it, when I have this experience with Christ, right? When I get healed of asthma at age 14, when, when the dreams of Satan that I had until I was 14 just went away one day after prayer. When Jesus called me. You know what I really love is um, my family was really dysfunctional growing up. Anyone in here who knew me, can I get an amen? <laughs> They're like, I better not. My family was dysfunctional. How does God call a dysfunctional family's son to be in ministry? Because he has a plan. Because he's alive. Because he's real. <laughs> So Jesus is moving right now in the book of John to prove so that you and I would believe. And that's where we pick up today. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus simply waits a couple more days before he comes to see Mary and Martha. And that was last week's sermon. I'd encourage you guys to listen to it. But the more I thought about that this week, it, the more it just made me mad. I was so mad at God this week. Um, he was like 1.78 miles away, and Lazarus is dead, and his friends, Mary and Martha, called out to him, but yet he waited for two days. Does that make anyone mad? It makes me mad. It, I was livid at him this week, and I'm still processing it. Be, now, look... <laughs> Is he bad because of it? No. I'm just mad because it's not my will. It's not my agenda. And there's things in my life that I get mad at God at that he's 1.78 miles away and he's still waiting. So when I cry out to him, I'm like, dude, you're not even in mutual. You're just at the Cooper's house. 
and you're saying, hey, I'm staying here two more days. Like, no, I need you right now. Like, don't you see the problem I'm having? But he says, it was my love that I'm staying two more days. See, it was his love for Mary and Martha and you and I that he stayed two more days. Because you want to know what he realized? If he would have came at their beck and call, they wouldn't have believed that the miracle was as powerful as it was. So I have to be okay with sometimes when God doesn't answer my prayers exactly when I ask, even though he's near to me, because there's something greater at work in my life. So you say, God didn't answer my prayers. Well, God also might just be waiting to prove the miracle a little bit stronger. So John chapter 11, verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Jesus, in his foreknowledge, knew that he would have shown, if he would have shown up the day of um, Lazarus dying, that people wouldn't have actually believed that Jesus or that Lazarus had died. Right? See, Jesus has already, already raised two people in Scripture this, thus far. Raised them from the dead. But both of those were on the same day. Uh, Jairus' daughter and the widow of Nain's, Nain's son. So they were the same day. He raised them. So they had questions like, it was just coincidence, right? And again, I'll just remind you of the story. I, I see some new faces who were not here last week. So there was a time Macy and I were at Walmart, and while we're walking around Walmart, this infant was being held, and the mom, while she was holding it, she's multitasking, and the baby fell out, four feet up, fell out of her arms, cracked its head right on the concrete, just thud, you heard it. And we're like, what? What was that? And the baby didn't cry, didn't make any noise. So then, kind of like when someone gets hurt on the football team, everyone wants to swarm around, right? So just ants of people just start swarming around. And I'm like, I can't do anything at this point. What am I going to do? So I just started to walk away. And the baby's lips are tur turning purple. It's not breathing. People are trying to do CPR. It's not breathing. It's not breathing. It's turning purple. Uh, two minutes has gone by. Don't know what's going on. They're calling the uh, Bambi lambs. Nobody? Ambulance? <laughs> they're, they're calling the medics. And um, Macy and I just kind of got convicted, like, we need to go back. So we ended up walking back. And just from a distance, from me to Macy, we stand there, and we just started to pray, God, in Jesus' name, we pray that this, this kid would start breathing again, that life would enter its body again, that everything would be okay. And then the baby started to cry. And life came to the baby. Now, you say, well, no, everything that they were doing is why the baby came back to life, right? People were working on it. People were doing whatever they were doing. Or maybe just the air got knocked out of the baby. 
See, you see how when I share that story, you question it because it was the same day, because it was within five minutes. You're like, I don't know if God answered your prayer, or I just don't know if it was a coincidence. Anyone, right? I don't know if it was a coincidence, or I don't know if it was the prayer. But here's what I know. Lazarus is dead, dead. Like, he's just not dead. This dude is dead, dead. He's going to be four days dead. So Jesus was glad that he wasn't there. God doesn't always show up on our time frame so that we know without a doubt that it wasn't a coincidence. See, his goal is for us to believe, just not to serve our agendas. So let's discover what's happening on his arrival. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, um, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So what does that tell you? The funeral, the viewing, that's happening. Lazarus is dead. He's been in the tomb for four days. He's dead. The decaying process has already begun. People have come to share their condolences. So this dude is not coming back to life without Jesus. Decaying was already taking place. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha, in this moment of loss, um, when Jesus shows up, feels comfortable enough to vent her emotions. Do you guys, do you guys feel comfortable enough to vent your emotions to God? God, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. That's what I was going through this week when I'm frustrated that there's things in my life that I'm praying about that God's not answering. I'm venting to him that he, you're only two miles away and you're not answering these yet. See, what Mary said, or what Martha says, sounds a lot like the Christian life. Faith and frustration. Can I get a witness? Faith and frustration. Faith and frustration. She believed that Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. But she's also frustrated that he wasn't there on her timing. How many of you guys believe today, by, by hands, believe that Jesus can do any, anything that he wants to today? Now, how many of you guys are frustrated with Jesus and his timing? I'm like, Lord, why haven't I won the mega billion even though I never play? <laughs> I know you're only two miles away. That's not one of my frustrations. Martha is frustrated with his timing, 
frustrated, probably even somewhat with him. But she still believed that he could do something. The typical Christian walk. Venting frustration to Jesus um, about things that are not going your way. And faith that God can still do it is normal. What is interesting here is Martha recognized a very special relationship that Jesus had with God. She says, he would give you whatever you ask. She saw that. Jesus, who was fully man, had such a relationship with the Father that he would give whatever he asked. Again, though, why didn't Jesus send his word forward to heal Lazarus? Why didn't he just do it? Why did Jesus wait two days before he came so that you and I may believe? So that you and I may believe. There was something in his waiting. There was something in his pause that he wanted us to believe because Lazarus was dead, dead. Because he knew in his foreknowledge that people wanted to find some reason to not believe. Jesus knew that if he came the same day, many people would have called it a coincidence. So Jesus continues to talk to Martha, but her focus is on her problem and not him. Anyone in here ever have that? You're so focused on your problem that you miss him? Yep. See, she has a tendency to do this, right? Remember out of Luke 10 that we, we mentioned last week twice, where... Martha is just so concerned with the hospitality of Jesus that she's cooking and cleaning, and she gets frustrated that Mary's not helping. And now what we see is her being really focused on her needs here as well. She has a tendency to do that. She focused on the um, yeah, problem of hospitality in chapter 10, rather than the idea of being in his presence. She's doing the same thing here. She's missing what Jesus is saying. She's completely missing it. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Mary's focused on her agenda and not seeing what Jesus is saying. She was missing it. And Jesus is like, hey, woman, look, I'm going to raise your brother back to life right now. That's what I'm going to do. He says it right here. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But she's not listening to Jesus. She's focusing on the problem, and the problem is that Lazarus had died. So since Lazarus had died, she's like, well, of course he's going to rise one day. He's going to rise from the grave, and he's going to be with, be with everyone in heaven. I understand that from the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to heal, I'm going to heal Lazarus right now. But because she was so focused on what she wanted, she missed it. 
we can too often be agenda-driven and knowledge-filled that we miss what Jesus is doing. Anyone ever act that way themselves? You're so agenda-driven that you miss Jesus. Her focus was on her agenda, and it made her miss Jesus completely. And if it made her miss Jesus, our agenda will make us miss Jesus as well. Because what should our agenda be? Seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. Either way, let's continue. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the re resurrection and the life. So Jesus says, that's me. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is trying to divert Martha's focus from, from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him that only he can provide. So he's saying, look, yeah, I understand that you recognize that on the last day, believers in Jesus Christ will be raised from the grave. But what I want you to do is understand that I am the resurrection and the life. So, so take away this abstract idea of, of one day being in heaven and walk in a personal relationship with me right now. I am that resurrection and I am the life that you can walk in and experience right now. Amen? We get to experience that right now. God in our life needs to be taken from an abstract belief to a personalized belief in Jesus. Not only does Jesus give bread from heaven, he is the bread of life in John chapter 6. But not only does Jesus resurrect the dead on the last day, he also is the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. Outside of him, you have no hope. Zero. None at all. You or others who do not follow Jesus will go to hell. The reality of that, right? And I want us to feel that for just a minute. Us, you and I, who do not know Jesus personally, will go to hell for eternity. Our friends and our family members who do not know Jesus personally will go to hell for eternity. And some may say that's not true. It is. And that's why Jesus is going to be glorified through the raising of Lazarus. He's going to say, everything that I've ever said is true, and I'm going to prove it. Because what's unique about it is this. He not only talks about his power, but he proves it with the story of Lazarus. See, Lazarus is going to be raised next week. But he not only, uh, yeah, he not only talks about the power, but he proves it. He had the power to raise a guy from the dead who was already decaying. Like, this is how big Jesus is. This is how big 
the God is that we serve. Lazarus was, was already decaying. Martha, I believe, uh, verse 38, she's going to say, Jesus, he smells. Like, you walking into something and he smells. Bring your mask. Because <laughs> he smells. He was dead for four days. His organs were no longer working. His lungs were without oxygen. His heart no longer pumping. He was limp everywhere. Macy tells me some days when she comes home from work, people were really sick. He wasn't just sick, he was dead, dead. See, that's how big our God is. That four days after something that science, that medicine, that people can't fix, he can. See, that's the same God that made me from a punk kid like you guys. I like you guys, though. And you're like, why you call me a punk? Because you don't even realize how big of a punk you are yet. And then people older than me, when they call me punk, I'm like, why you call me a punk? And they're like, because you don't even realize how big of a punk you are yet. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it was all that side. I hear you, Dave. <laughs> Participating church, yes, thank you. Dave can, though. He's been uh, watching me play basketball and blocking my shots since 1997. <laughs> so you can say that. But it was me sitting in your seat, not necessarily understanding the power of this life that Jesus talks about. But, but this Jesus, this power of Jesus took me from a kid who cared about everyone's opinion, who then went to mostly caring about one. And the one opinion that I cared about was what Jesus thought about me and how much he loved me. And in this world, you guys understand that that's not the popular decision, right? That's not the popular thing to say. And w w without that encounter with Christ, without the power of Christ, without the resurrection power of Jesus coming into my life, then I'm still of the world. It was the power, the transforming power that rose Lazarus from the dead that lives in every believer today. Amen? We can clap it out. Jesus as the re resurrection and life does the same thing for you and I that he did for Lazarus. We are all or we were all dead to sin dead in our life with no hope. Yet when we humble ourselves and recognize and call upon Jesus, recognize that we're sinners and call upon Jesus, he will make us new like Lazarus. Amen. Is anyone thankful for that today? Or, is, or, 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 or have we heard the gospel so much that we're just like, water under a bridge. The gospel should never be water under a bridge for us. If it's water under a bridge, then our heart is rebellious. 
We're going to continue on 25b. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. See, this wasn't just talking about a life that only brought us fullness after we die. But it's a promise of something more. That we begin to live the fullness of Christ right now. See, believers today never die. Though our physical bodies die, the moment we pass from this life, we get to meet Jesus face to face. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Come on, somebody. So though we may die, you're supposed to say, make it plain. (laughs) Though we may die, right, we live forever. We can begin to live a life uh, to the fullness of Christ. So believers in Christ in most ways never die. The mortal life fades and um, the life with Jesus never ends. In that sense, whoever believes in Jesus never dies. Amen? So how many people in here never die? Never die. So then Jesus asks, asks Martha this. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that though you die, believers never die? Do you believe this? See, belief is greater than just a thought. Belief is also something that you walk out. So he asks her, do you believe this? And she says this. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. See, that's what we're all required to do, is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and resurrected three days later for our sins, that he is who he says he is, and that he offers us eternal life. Jesus is asking Martha if her faith can go past a quiet confidence that Jesus will raise Lazarus on the last day to a personal trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, can you get past this Lazarus thing for a moment? And will you put your personal faith in me for the rest of your life. It's not about just, um, I've heard, I remember going to conferences. You know, a lot of the youth conferences that I go to and they'd say, will you accept Jesus into your heart? Right? So you get really emotional and you're like, I'm gonna accept Jesus into my heart, but then my life still stays the same. And it's not about, it's not about you accepting Jesus into your heart. It's about Jesus accepting you. And he's already, he's already made that available if, if we would believe in him, right? Amen. 
if we would believe in him. He wanted Martha to know, look, Martha, I can make an impact in your life right now. He alone can make her alive. So I want you guys to close your eyes. I want to ask you guys this with your eyes closed. Do you believe this today? Do you believe that Jesus, Jesus is who he says he is? Let's just raise some hands. If you guys believe who Jesus is, who he says he is. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. I also want to ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Raise those hands again. All right. And then finally, I want to ask. Now, look, here's where it gets challenging. Um, embarrassing, humiliating to some degree. Be like, I'm not so sure about who Jesus is in my life. I'm not so sure about who God is, but I want to know more. Eyes are closed. Just ask that you would raise your hand if you want to know more to any degree. Amen with these hands raised. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for being with us. I thank you for showing up. I thank you that the same way that next week you're going to raise Lazarus from the dead, someone who is completely dead and confused and blinded. Father, um, well, Lazarus wasn't, but he was completely dead. Likewise, we are dead. We are blinded. We are confused. That you would bring us life. Father, I pray that you would knock on our doors and that we would open. Protect us as we leave here today. Father, I ask that the uh, enemy schemes would be broken. I pray that, um, Father, the unique experiences that um, you have graced me with, that others in here would see you in those powerful ways. That, that as they uh, cry out in prayers, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed.